today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. We're just uh, a little more than a week and a half or so away from the, uh, the day when the uh, Conservative Party, the Federal Conservative Party, will announce the results of their leadership convention. It's a write-in ballot, of course, and it's a ranked balloting system. We've talked about the procedures in the past. But there's an interesting uh, op-ed piece that talks about the future after that. The stakes could not be higher for the Conservative Party in this leadership race. The author is Andrew Perez. Andrew is a Toronto-based public affairs professional freelance writer and a political activist. He volunteered for the Ontario Liberal Party Central Campaign back in the 2022 Ontario election. Uh, Andrew, pleasure to have you back on the program. Thanks so much for the time today. Great to be on your program again. Thanks, Bill. You know, it's interesting about this as, as i read through it it's a fascinating very thought-provoking piece uh, i'm getting the sense that what you're saying here is that, you know what's going to happen on september 10th is pretty much a foregone conclusion i think but the question here is what's going to happen to the conservative party after that yeah that, that's exactly right um i think that the party is is genuinely at a at an inflection point uh and a crossroads um this party came together in 2003 2004 uh, as a result of the legacy progressive conservative and reform canadian alliance parties and within you know three three or four years was was in government uh under stephen harper for a decade but over the past seven years um the party has found itself on the opposition benches and i think has really um suffered from an identity crisis um, under uh, several different leaders. Um, this is the third leadership contest in um, five years for the party. And, you know, they lurched, uh, kind of lurched to the right um, in 2015 uh, in Harper's final election. And, and, and Andrew Scheer following that was, was not seen to be um, in, the, in the mainstream center of Canadian politics. And then Aaron O'Toole actually a, a year ago now in, a, in the last general election uh really presented himself as a as a very moderate red tory and and that didn't work for the party so i think you know they've really been um lost in terms of where they sit in the political spectrum and, and what i point to in the piece is that um the forces of populism i feel have really overtaken the party uh particularly over the last couple of years during the covid 19 pandemic and we've seen that um we've seen that reflected uh, in this leadership contest and the um, just the incredible momentum. And I do give him credit for uh, selling over 300,000 memberships, the Pierre Poilievre campaign. And that's positioned uh, him as the, the undisputed front runner um, who will uh, certainly uh, prevail on September 10th, likely with the first ballot victory. And, and that's, as you say, almost a foregone conclusion. Uh, and, uh, but your point about identity is, is something that I think is fascinating here, because as you point out in the piece as well, this is not the first political party in Canada that's gone through this. Uh, the Liberals had to do some soul searching about just who they were uh, during some of those leadership races in the last number of years as well. And uh, you know, the Paul Martin, Jean Chrétien feud that went on for quite some time caused a huge split in that party. Uh, and it took them years to get over that. And uh, then some bad decisions about leaders with, uh, you know, Stefan Dion and Michael Ignatieff. So this is this is not unique to the Conservatives, but it's something that uh, they need to be paying attention to because, as you say, they can't really define exactly who they are or what they are. I, you know, as you mentioned, there are some extreme elements in that party right now. Uh, we can debate just how much influence they actually have, but they do have some influence. That's that's for sure. And is that is that the character of the party, or is it a more moderate party? Uh, I don't know if they know that. You know, it's it's a great question, uh, Bill. I, I think, you know, 
there's no doubt that parties evolve and the liberal party today under justin trudeau is not the you know is not the party the identical party as it was 20 years ago under the the martin and Krejcian government so parties evolve parties change countries evolve societies evolve that's all good and well um, but what I'm seeing over the last couple of years, and particularly manifested in this leadership contest, is the hollowing out of the the centrist, not even centrist, but traditional conservative um, appeal. And I and I and I and I I, I uh, expand upon this in my piece. You know, the, once upon a time, you know, the the progressive conservative party was dominated by both red Tories and blue Tories, and and blue Tories actually played a, a, an integral role in that in that party's uh, history and in leadership contests. Blue Tories, you know, law and order, um, you know, uh, tax and, you know, to, to, you know, those who are in support of cutting taxes and reducing the size of government. Actually, those candidates uh, outnumbered the red Tory candidates. Uh, but those the party didn't embrace um, populism. It, it was able to re, uh, to to remain uh, center-right and in support of traditional institutions, government institutions. And and I've, I, I haven't seen that in this race. I mean, you do have candidates like Jean Charest and, and Scott Aitchison and, and Patrick Brown before he was disqualified who have been championing a more traditional conservatism that we've seen in this country. Um, but but their their candidacies have not uh, have not panned out too well. And uh, in fact, Mr. Charest's campaign uh, has declined to to share how many memberships they sold. And so what we've seen is uh, the Poilievre Ever campaign dominating this race. And really, I think um, not even focusing in on the traditional Tory or even blue liberal business liberal voter. He's been bringing in for people who have traditionally not voted um, individuals who supported uh, Maxime Bernier's uh, People's Party of Canada in the last election, those who were opposed to vaccine mandates, uh, some of those individuals were indeed anti-vaxxers. So he's really been focusing on on, on those groups uh, to build what I think is a new coalition um, for the Conservative Party of Canada. And, and obviously, uh, their campaign believes that you know, not only was that integral to winning the race, but they think that that will uh, allow them to to form a government uh, in the next, you know, two or three years when, whenever that election takes place. So I find it fascinating how, in my view, this is not just the party evolving. It's the party fundamentally changing and bringing, changing its voter coalition, bringing in, you know, PPC supporters, uh, folks who have never voted before, who are embracing Poilievre's vision and, and style of politics and kind of uh, discarding the traditional uh, kind of law and order or, you know, center-right conservative voter that, that even Stephen Harper relied on throughout his uh, decade in power. It's not even that they're not concentrating on them. In Paul Lievs' world, uh, he wants to destroy those institutions. He wants, you know, the Bank of Canada, it's corrupt. Uh, Parliament is corrupt. You know, law enforcement agencies, you know, don't trust them. You know, you don't know what their agenda are. Uh, I, and I get that because, you know, there are a lot of angry people around these days because of what's gone on. They're tired of the pandemic. They're tired of the lockdowns and the restrictions. Uh, and, you know, there's a long list, as you and I have talked about in the past. But, the whole focus of this seems to be, uh, you know, if you elect me to be your prime minister, that's going to be the next pitch, clearly. I'll, I'll knock all these things down. It's like we're going to blow everything up and start all over again, uh, as opposed to offering hope, uh, which is what yeah. politicians of all stripes have always done in the past, that I've got a better way and we can we can make this thing work. Uh, we can tweak our institutions and make changes where we want. But Polly is taking a rather extreme approach to that. And and like you say, uh, it's it's buying it, the, a lot of the party members are buying into it, but not all of them are. 
Uh, no, and, and, and you mentioned yeah. this in the piece, and maybe the, the one element of this that a whole lot of people are not talking about is disenchanted conservatives after Paul Dia becomes the leader. And we, we talked a couple of weeks ago about the, the center ice conservatives. Uh, yes. I'm not suggesting for a second, uh, Andrew, that this, that's the majority of the party, but there's a lot of people involved in that, and, and you don't know what kind of an impact that's going to be. So that's an intriguing movement that I've followed closely. Uh, center ice conservatives formed uh, just last spring. Um, and it's, it was created by a, a gentleman by the name of Rick Peterson, who's a venture capitalist who actually ran in the 2017 conservative leadership uh, contest that, that, that ultimately crowned Andrew Scheer. And he's, he's put together this organization. They held a, a one-day conference in Edmonton uh, a few weeks ago. And they are not formally aligned with any leadership campaign. I would say that most of their supporters would be were Sheree or Patrick Brown or Scott Aitchison supporters. Um, but they are they are careful to point out that they're not formally aligned with with any candidate and will work with uh, the eventual leader, whoever, whomever that is. Um, but they are essentially putting forth the, the idea that that I that I concur with strongly that. You know, the center of Canadian politics has hollowed out in the last decade. And, um, you know, if conservatives want to be competitive and be relevant um, across the country among diverse demographics, they need, they need to be, you know, in the center ice. And uh, I've actually suggested to them on, on Twitter that they they consider changing their name to simply center ice and, and remove conservatives because they would be able to attract um, you know, disaffected liberals, disaffected Green Party supporters who might be looking for a, a centrist uh, political vehicle to get behind. So I find that all intriguing. It will be interesting to see post-September 10th what becomes of center ice conservatives under Poilievre's leadership. Do they engage? Do they do they remain a, a, a force within the party? Do they splinter into other parties? Um, that remains to be seen. And, and I touch upon this in the piece while I don't think the party is going to splinter in September, um, there is, to your point, these traditional conservatives are not are, are not going to be active in a Poilievre-led party. Um, former prominent ministers like Lawrence Cannon and Peter Kent in the Harper government have put out an op-ed recently um, where they said, you know, they're very concerned about the style of politics that, that Pierre Poilievre has put forth. And incidentally, they both are Jean Charest supporters. So, you know, there's also the possibility that some Quebec conservative MPs might might leave the party. Uh, one MP, Joel Godin, has already openly mused that um, he doesn't think he would feel comfortable under a Poilievre-led party, and he's waiting to see whether uh, Poilievre will, will pivot back to the centre. And so, these are all interesting things. The, the one other thing I wanted to add is, I, to your point, I really do think we're at a very intriguing time in our history, coming out of a two and a half year pandemic. Um, you know, in, as you well know, inflation. You know, in, we're, we're looking at forty year record inflation levels, an affordability crisis, a housing crisis. Um, a lot of Canadians are really struggling, and people are looking for answers and. Uh, Monsieur Poilievre, in my view, offers no concrete substantive solutions, but he is an extremely talented communicator, social media savvy, and is able to um, take very complex ideas. He put out a video recently on marginal, um, marginal effective tax rates, and he was able to take that complex policy issue and boil it down into layman's terms. And, and, and provide the example of a, of a single mother who makes 55000 a year with three children, 
who, um, you know, if her taxes go up by, you know, $1, 80% of that dollar, whether through government benefits or taxes, would be clawed back. And so it's interesting, he wasn't approaching, you know, cutting taxes through the traditional conservative ethos, which would be efficiency and, you know, um, you know uh, smaller government. He was approaching it more through an equity lens that a modest income single mother can't afford to get ahead and thereby we, you know, therefore we need to really radically change the tax system. So this message is obviously resonating. And as a progressive, it worries me that the Liberal Party and, and other parties have not thus far really framed Pierre Poilievre, um, because I think we're looking at, you know, the next federal election is going to be a real battle royale between Poilievre and whomever he may face, whether it's Justin Trudeau or a, a new Liberal leader. So I think we're really at an interesting time right now, and this will all be, you know, on September 10th, we'll officially know the results, but it, it's going to be very interesting time for those who follow Canadian politics. I, I want to circle back, if I could, to, to the impact it might have on the party and rifts in the party, if I could, uh, because as we said, there is a history of that in Canadian politics, and especially in the Conservative Party. Uh, you know, as, as you mentioned, the Quebec caucus of the Conservative Party uh, was very upset with some of the Mulroney policies, especially vis-a-vis -vis Quebec, and they split and they became the Bloc Québécois and, uh, yeah. and actually at one point formed the opposition. Uh, out West, similar situation. They didn't like what was going on with conservatism. Preston Manning and Stephen Harper and others formed the Alliance Party. Uh, that was at the other end, I guess, of the political spectrum. Uh, and that weakens the party considerably. Now, I'm not suggesting it's going to happen, but there are rifts there right now, and we don't know whether or not this the center ice group or as you mentioned the quebec caucus uh are going to simply say okay well you know we fought the good fight let's just rally behind the leader or simply going to say no uh yeah. I, well even the last time as you mentioned uh, you know maxime bernier formed the people's party uh hasn't done that well mind you they did a lot better in the last federal election than people thought they would so th th that possibility still exists yes and i i think I think something may happen along those lines of what you just described. So there, the Conservatives have, have long struggled in Quebec. Obviously, Mulroney built two majority governments in the 1980s around Quebec. Um, but Harper, you know, I think in 2006 was the election he won the most seats in Quebec. I, I, you know, I think he won just around 10 or 12 seats. Right now, the party has 10 seats in Quebec. I find it very interesting that seven of those 10 MPs have endorsed Charest. Uh, two MPs have remained unaligned, that is to say they, ha they haven't endorsed a candidate. And only one MP, Pierre-Paul Housse, has, has opted to endorse Poilievre. Many speculate that that was purely for um, career reasons, uh, as opposed to on principle, you know. Um, and so, we, we, you know, you'll ha he'll, Pierre Poilievre will be staring down a caucus, a, a Quebec caucus of 10 MPs, and only one individual of those 10 supported him. And so, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. These, traditionally speaking, the, the the brand of conservative politics that does well in Quebec is is, is stands quite apart from the style of politics that uh, that Pierre Polyevre has has put forward. Now, I do know a Quebec election was called yesterday, and there's an upstart Quebec Conservative Party um, that seems to be doing well. But again, look at the look at during COVID. You know, Francois Legault's CAQ government, uh, broadly considered to be centre right. Um, implemented the most heavy-handed COVID-19 lockdowns and curfews in the entire country. And coming out of COVID, Francois Legault is, remains wildly popular, and it's, it's almost a certainty that he'll form a second-majority government on October 3rd. So, you know, then you juxtapose that with the 
policies of Pierre Poilievre, you know, he opposes all vaccine mandates and has been very critical of the impact that uh, lockdowns and other policies um, had on, on, on individuals. So um, I don't know how that's going to resonate in Quebec. My, my, my impression is that that, that's an, that will be a non-starter in Quebec. And so, you know, we are a country of many different regions and, you know, the Conservative Party, to their credit, they are a national party. But if they, if, if, if Poilievre is unable to resonate in a province like Quebec, which has 75 seats, it, he's going to he's going to have trouble forming a, a government. And I think that's been one of the 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 points that the Charest campaign, uh, to their credit, have have pointed out consistently is Charest has broad appeal across the country. He can win Quebec. He's com- competitive in Atlantic Canada, in the greater Toronto area with a high immigrant population. Um, that that polling has been pretty clear on that. And so We'll see. I think, you know, voter turnout is historically low and um, the gov- the Liberal government will be approaching 10 years um, in power. And so there may be an opening for, for Pierre Poilievre, but um, he's going to face some challenges because I think, broadly speaking, he would be considered to be outside the Canadian mainstream. And I don't know that in two years time that COVID-19 politics is going to be front and center in voters' minds. I'm not sure that even inflation economists are saying inflation will have cooled off in a couple of years. So we'll be we'll be in a different political um, context two years from now. So it will be interesting to see um, the dynamics that are at play in the lead up to the next uh, general election. Well, to that point, Andrew, you need only look at the Ontario election from a few months ago. Uh, a year ago, they were ready to, you know, hoist Doug Ford on his petard because of his COVID policies, and he didn't hold held a chance, according to the public opinion polls. And look how things change within a year uh, because of the, the the impact of COVID changed to a certain extent. Uh, and who knows what's going to happen a year now, two years, whatever's going to happen. I ju- we're almost out of time. I just want to remind our listeners, listen, the NDP and the Liberals have problems like this too. It's just that they're not ready to pick a new leader. Uh, at some point they may before the next election. We'll see. We'll cross that bridge when we get to it. But uh, the most immediate one, of course, is what's happening with the Conservatives, the impact it's going to have. Uh, it's a, It's a great piece as i said a great op-ed piece that really gets us to thinking about what's going to happen not just with the party but the, uh, the the nation as a whole always a pleasure andrew thank you so much for this today thanks so much for the conversation uh, bill take care well you bet you we'll talk again soon andrew perez a toronto-based public affairs professional and freelance writer the bill kelly show weekdays from nine to noon on 900 chml